Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. Hey, we have all experienced it. Uh, we've gone to a uh, restaurant, we've gone to a place of business, a store, a school, a church, and uh, that entity might be exactly like the one down the street, but uh, it's different. It's got a different feel, or to use the current word, it's got a different vibe. And we've been asking the question, okay, what kind of vibe do we as a church want to have? Not what kind of vibe do we have, but what kind of vibe do we want to have? I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, there's a couple dozen churches, maybe even more, here in Texarkana that have exactly the same theology as we do. They have exactly the same programming as we do. I mean, they got the same lots of stuff as we do. But you know that if you went to that church, it would feel different than this church. Now, those of you that have been around since the dinosaurs, just like me, you're saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not really sure this is legitimate to even be talking about. But those of you that have been around for a few months, six months, maybe a year or so, you know that this place is really different. And it's not that we're really different. All two dozen of these churches in town are really different. You could go to another church next week that'll be just like us, but it will feel different. It will be unique. It's got a different culture. And, you know, rather than us sitting back and saying, well, that's just who we are, take it or leave it, I think that God actually gives us the, the, the responsibility of saying, you know, no, what really is it that we want to communicate to people? I mean, you know, we don't have it on the wall, but a lot of times you go into a church and they have the mission statement on the wall. But what's happening down the hall isn't what's happening on the wall. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we can say all day long, here's what we're about we care all about this, we care all about that, we care all about that other thing. But really what we should do is ask some of these folks that have been around for about three or four months and say, what does Fellowship Bible Church really be about? I mean, you've, you've listened to 12 sermons, you've come 12 Sundays, you have talked to some people out in the lobby. What really is fellowship all about? If we gave them 20 adjectives and say, pick out five or six of them that describe fellowship, what would they say? We'd say, oh, this, this, and this. Those of us that have been around since the dinosaurs. But what would these new folks say? Well, you say that, but this is really what you're communicating. So in a way, we're, we're, we're studying what are our real values? What are the real values? What are the real, what's the real truth that we want to be communi communicating to people. Well, a couple of them are just no-brainers. At least they should be no-brainers. I mean, Jesus told us the greatest commandment in the world 
is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And then he said, hey, and just in case you're wondering, the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. So, I mean, Jesus exalting, people valuing, yeah, that's exactly what we should be doing as our top two things. We should, we should be treating people who walk in these doors, whether they're saved or not, whether they're black or white or something in between, whether they're male or female, we need to be treating people as people who are created in the image of God. We value them and treat them with respect. Okay, we love God, we love people. What after that? Well, you know, I'm so sure we could stop right now and we could come up with probably two dozen things. And you know what? The Bible doesn't prioritize them. And it's pretty tough to, to fire on all 24 cylinders, isn't it? And so what I've tried to do is pick out three or four more and say these are what we ought to fire on. Maybe these ought to be our top priorities. And Andy shared with you last week about one of those. We, we, we want this place to be a life-giving place. I mean, David said it so well, Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said, hey, let's go to church. I was glad when I woke up and mom said, it's Sunday, let's go to church. Why was he glad? Because church was this place that, that gave to him life instead of sapped the energy out of him. I think that needs to be one of our top priorities. Life-infusing, life-giving, joy-giving, however, whatever label you want. You know what? It needs to be a place that is enjoyable to go to. Doesn't mean it's not going to be challenging. Doesn't mean there's not going to be times when the sermon's going to be straight between my eyes and I'm going to leave bloodied and beat up. But I'm going to say at the end of the day, it was good to go there because I needed to hear that. Because ultimately I got encouraged in the real things of life, not just the plastic frosting of life. Well, what, what's the next one? Okay, well, let me, let me just start off by telling you a story. Anyone ever go to a JoJo's? Okay, I can see that Vicki and I are the only fools in the room. Okay, notice you can't see the fine print, but I wondered what in the world happened to JoJo's, and I found this Facebook site. It says, JoJo's Restaurant and Memories, 1971 to 2003, rest in peace, R.I.P. Uh, when Vicki and I were first married... She was working downtown Dallas. I was going to school at Dallas Seminary. We lived up in Richardson, and so if you know the Dallas uh, geography, you know that we had to get on Central Expressway and spend about 30 minutes, bumper to bumper, going down Central Expressway. Then at Haskell, if you really know Dallas, she got off and went right, and I got off and went left. And we both drove 
separate cars because sometimes she had to go off and do stuff for work and sometimes I was coming home at one and sometimes I was coming home at seven and so it just didn't work for us to carpool. Well, as we would come home and get to our little house in in Richardson, we would always drive by this JoJo's. And uh, JoJo's was kind of like, uh, you know, five steps below a Denny's, okay? And, uh, but, but, you know, this place did great deals. Now, let me just tell you something about me. I had never tasted prime rib until I went to college. I think my parents saw how much I ate, and it's like, we ain't going to any of those restaurants that serve prime rib. And so I just never even knew what prime rib was until I went to college, and somehow I ate it, and I'm like, I did not know that meat could taste like this. It was, it was incredible. And so, you know, if we go out to dinner and we're at that kind of a place, you know, more times than not, I'm going to order the prime rib. I just love it. You can tell, okay? Okay. Um, well, this place was always running deals. This JoJo's was always running deals. And I mean, sometimes the deal was kids eat free. And sometimes the deal was desserts on us. And sometimes the deal was coffee is free with breakfast or whatever. And one time there was a sign out front. It was prime rib, $3.99. You know, and now this is back in the days, it, it's not today, this was, you know, a million years ago. This is back in the day when, you know, cheap prime rib at a nice restaurant would cost you nine or ten bucks. And I'm thinking, three ninety nine. now we're talking here. And, and, you know, I would drive by that and I saw that and I, I got home and I said, Vicki, that JoJo's is doing prime rib for three ninety nine, And she's like, ah, you know. <laughs> She knew, okay, but, but, you know, she's, you know, a loving wife, going to follow the leader off the cliff and the whole thing. And, and so finally I talked her in. I said, okay, what are you doing after work? And she's like, no, I, I get to leave about five. Oh, good. I'm, I'll, you know. And so we were going to stop at JoJo's and have dinner. And, man, all day long I'm looking forward to three ninety nine prime rib. I might order two of them, you know, because this is just, I mean, when can you get prime rib for $3.99? And, and we went in the place. Now, the first sign should have been that there were only four cars in the parking lot, <laughs> and they only had three employees, okay? And they immediately sat us, and I'm like, well, I guess the crowd hasn't gotten here, you know? And, and, and it kind of had that, that smell, you know, that, that goes. And then they hand us the, the, the menus. And even though we're going to order prime rib, they hand us the menus, those laminated ones. And I don't think the people that had had it, that menu for lunch had washed their hands or, uh, or, you know, they were a little sloppy with the ketchup. I mean, it's, I'm kind of looking at it, and it's like, well, you know, I said, hey, we want the prime rib. And they're like, yeah, okay. And I, I, what comes with it? I, I don't know. You got any potatoes? Uh, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll be right back, you know? I mean, let me just tell you, it went bad, 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 bad. And I, I, I thought at least they can't mess up the prime rib. They, they messed up the prime rib. Prime rib, evidently you do have to cook it the right way if you want it to taste right. But then the final straw was when a roach walked across our table. And I'm, I mean, Vicky is like, okay, I'm done. 
you know? I mean, I have put up with this, you know, the dutiful wife, you know, enjoying where the husband brought her to, to dinner. It's like, okay, we're out of here. Talk to the manager and tell him we're leaving. So we call the guy over. Okay, this is in the days of Dallas, you know, the soap opera that was on Friday nights at 9 o'clock. And I said, there was a roach. And he goes, shh, 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 shh. We call them JRs. And, and, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Okay, you know where I'm going. I'll finish the story. Uh, I, I could keep going on and on. But, you know, we left. And to no one's surprise, the place closed about three, four months later. Uh, it, it's like, duh. And Vicky's like, I could have told you it was going to be like that. Have you not noticed that? You know, they've got a parking lot that'll hold 40 cars, and they never have more than three or four cars out there. No wonder they're giving away their dessert or letting the kids eat free. Even the kids don't want to eat their stuff, you know? I mean, it was bad. You know why? They didn't care a lick at how they did their business. It wasn't that they bought bad beef. They just didn't care how they did it. They didn't care about how they treated those customers. You know what we're going to talk about today? Doing our work with excellence. I'm pretty sure that one of the reasons JoJo's died 20 years ago, even though they really did it the first time I went, had great coffee and served a great breakfast, is because they stopped doing their work with excellence. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Now, if you're familiar with uh, the book of 1 Chronicles, you know that almost all of it is just kind of reads like the census rolls. It's just name after name after name after name after name. All these categories of names. And there's hardly any narrative in it. And that's why in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9, it is so unusual and noteworthy that the chronicler stopped and made a few comments about this guy named Jabez. Jabez, you probably heard it. I mean, someone wrote a book on it like 30 years ago that was like a New York Times bestseller, and lots of preachers have preached on Jabez. Jabez is someone we ought to know, and I'm going to reintroduce him to you today. But look at it, okay? It starts in verse 1. These are the sons of Judah, you know, Perez, Hezron, Carmi, uh, Hur, Shobalt. You go all the way down to verse 9. You finally get to Jabez. Now, everyone else has just been named, and he moves on. But you get to verse 9, it says, And Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother named him Jabez, saying, Because I bore him with pain. Jabez, the, the, the word itself, the name itself, kind of means pain or anguish or challenged, rough. And we don't know, but, but mom named him Jabez. Maybe he was premature. Maybe he struggled at birth. Maybe he was breech. 
something happened that, that he was unusually difficult. It's like he started behind a little bit. Who knows, maybe he was colicky, maybe he didn't nurse all that well. Something challenged him early on. And all of that was going on in his life. And his mom, you know, decided to give him that name, challenge, anguish, pain, Jabez. But notice how he is described there in verse 9. And Jabez was more honorable. He was more noteworthy than his brothers. Look at verse 10. Now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, thou, that thou would bless me indeed and enlarge my border, and that thy hand might be with me, and that thou wouldst keep me from harm, that it may not pain me, that it may not Jabez me. And God granted him what he requested. So go back up there to verse 9. Here's the question. Jabez was more honorable. What does that mean? How was Jabez more honorable? Now, the lazy answer is the wrong answer. It's easy to read this so fast and say, well, he was honorable because he prayed this big prayer. You know, look at verse 10. Enlarge my borders. Give me this. Give me that. Give me that as other thing. That's how he was honorable. But you know what? That's actually not the way to understand this text. It, here's the deal. Look at the screen. There's a fine difference, but I think it's a very valid difference. Jabez was honorable, and out of that honor, he prayed. It wasn't that he was honorable because he prayed. So I think there's a lot of people that, that read this, maybe have read the books or heard the sermons, and they're like, I'm going to start praying big because I want to be honorable. And you know what? I think that's totally missing why the chronicler, why the Holy Spirit had the chronicler stop and give us a couple sentences about this guy named Jabez who started out life rough. Jabez was an honorable person. And it just so happened that Jabez prayed that big prayer. And the big thing is, is God answered it. And I think that you could make a good argument that God answered his big prayer because Jabez was an honorable person who was asking for it. Jabez was asking for more responsibility. And God said, I'm going to give you more responsibility because you've been doing a good job with the little bit of responsibility I've been giving you. See that? It wasn't that he was honorable because he prayed. Now, yeah, it's very honorable to pray. We all should be people of prayer. But the thing I think that is it's most uh, relevant to us, particularly today, is we want to ask the question, how was he honorable? What was it about him that distinguished him from his brother's? that made him different than all these other people that were just listed. Because you start at verse 11 and go on, it's just back to name, 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 name. What is it about Jabez that made him honorable? What is it about Jabez that made it so that when he prayed a big prayer, God said, yes. 
I think that's what we want to focus in on. What was it that made Jabez honorable? And you know what I think the answer was? Jabez, among other things, he distinguished himself by the excellence of his work. I think there was something in his work ethic that put him above Perez or her or the other guys in the family. There was something about this man that was honorable, and people saw it. And the Holy Spirit said, put a spotlight on him. And when Jabez asked God for more, God said, absolutely, I'll give you more. I mean, I think he's an illustration of that principle, to whom much is given, much is required. And he's like the guy that had, you know, five talents, and God said, well done, here's five more. That's what Jabez was like. Let me just get you to look with me at a few passages of Scripture that I think are speaking to it. And I'd really like you to take your time to, to, to turn these. If you've got a Bible, turn in them. If you're using your phone, turn to them. Look at Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Look at this verse in Ecclesiastes. This is one of those that I think we all ought to think about. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Look what Solomon says. Whatever your hand finds to do, truly, do it with all your might. For there's no activity or planning or wisdom in Sheol, where you're going. Sheol was the grave. Isn't it interesting? Solomon says, you know what? The only time you really have to distinguish yourself in terms of your work ethic is right now. When you're dead and you go to Sheol, Sheol is where people went, all people went before the cross. When you go there, it's all done. The test has been taken. The grades are in. Your time is now. During these 70 or 80 years that God gives you, your time is now. So whatever your hand finds it to do, man, do it with all your might. Let's go to another verse. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul's been talking to them about, okay, do we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Do we not eat meat sacrificed to idols? Do we drink wine that's been sacrificed to idols? Do we not drink wine? And he's having this long discussion, you know, what if it, what if it offends some younger believer in the church and all that stuff. Great discussion, great discussion. But look at, look at how he wraps it up. Verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all 
to the glory of God. And then notice this. This is kind of interesting, verse 32 and 33. Man, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. I mean, don't let your actions be offensive. Whatever you do, do it to God's glory. Your job, what you do for a living, how you conduct your hobbies, how you take care of your stuff. Don't be offensive to the Jews. Don't be offensive to the Greeks. Don't be offensive to the other people in the church. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, that they may be saved. Don't. Is your lifestyle, is your work ethic, is the way you do things, the way you keep your appointments, are you doing it in such a way that gives glory to God? Or are you giving offense inadvertently, or sometimes intentionally, that gets in the way of the gospel? You're the messenger. And sometimes people want to reject the message because the messenger stinks, quite frankly. We've all seen that. We've all heard that. One more passage. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, right there. Galatians chapter 6. Now, this is kind of at the end of the book, and the Apostle Paul is, is kind of doing the so what, I wonder where he got that idea. Uh, he's doing that so what thing. And he told wives to do this and husbands to do that and told children to do this other thing. You look at verse 5. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, whether with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service, as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Boy, it, that, that's a couple of verses that really ought to be think we ought to be thinking about especially those of us that have a job that work for other people I mean who am I working for who are you working for if you're a believer if you're a child of God if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ you're not just working for that paper mill or that company or that school system you're working for God don't do it just to be a people pleaser. Do it because it's God whose eye is upon you. Doing the will of God from the heart. And we could keep talking about all of this, but here's the deal. I think this right here was a big part of why Jabez was so honorable. Jabez distinguished himself. Told you a couple of stories today. Let me tell you another one. When I was uh, about 13 years old, 
my mom and dad came back from a trip, and my dad had learned a new word, uh, gimper. And it was like, are you a gimper? Be a gimper. And I'm like, you know, you know how well that goes over with a 13-year-old, okay? Uh, by that time, everybody had left home, and I'm there, kind of this only child, youngest of six, but like an only child. And my dad is like all into being a gimper. And I'm like, what the freak is a gimper, you know? Uh, and, and here's the deal. My dad had gone to visit, my dad and mom had gone to Dallas to visit my oldest brothers that were students at Dallas Seminary, and they, he went to chapel. And uh, the chaplain happened to be doing the sermon that day in chapel. His name was Richard Sumi. Richard Sumi. Dr. Sumi. I mean, it's a good thing he wasn't a medical doctor with a name like that. Dr. Sumi, you know? This guy was a preacher doctor, okay? And uh, Dr. Sumi, just, I mean, if you ever wanted to meet the Apostle John, you go meet Dr. Sumi. I mean, I promise you, he had to be the most humble, godly man I think I've ever been in the presence of. Uh, incredible, incredible man. But Dr. Sumi preached a sermon on Jabez many, many times. And, and what he said was that Dr. Sumi, or, or what he said was that Jabez was a gimper. And then he went on to explain that hardly anyone even knew what a gimper was anymore. But that used to be a real common term 100, 150 years ago. Uh, any of you people that know how to sew, do you know what gimp is? Gimp is that, is that edge that gets put on really nice drapes, you know, or maybe the upholstery of a fine piece of furniture. Gimp would be if you ever go to a wedding and they're wearing tuxedos and you'll maybe see a little edge of silk there on the edge of that tuxedo or some silk down the legs of those tuxedo pants. That's gimp. And the person that applied that little bit extra was a gimper. The person that, that, that just came in and did the extra special stuff. Back in the day when, when cabinets would have been made on site, made to order, and, and, and uh, made to, that, to fit into that place exactly, they would, they would always bring in at the very end a gimper who would apply the the last little bit of molding, the place that really shows. You know, I mean, just about any carpenter can build a box, and they can put a slab of plywood on the front of it with some hinges, and you got cabinets. But nobody really wants those unless if you can afford more. You want something that makes that thing almost hanging there in your kitchen look like a little piece of furniture, fine furniture. The carpenter that was the last person to apply that stuff was called a gimper. And I started hearing the term gimper when I was 13 years old because that impressed my dad so much. Now let, him, let me tell you how, how much I really wanted to be a gimper. It's almost like as soon as he used the word gimper, I was like, okay, let's get slothful. But you know, now that I'm his age, actually older than he was, when he started telling me to be a gimper, I know what he what he's saying. There is something about that person. Well, you know what? It's honorable. 
that person that, that just does it a little bit better, puts a little bit more effort into it, that's what God's calling us to be. That's, that's what distinguished Jabez. Jabez did it with all his might to the glory of God. Jabez wasn't just uh, doing it to please his boss. He was doing it because he was going to please the sovereign king of the universe. He was doing his work with excellence. You know, one of the most fascinating things, if you ever get a chance to go to New York City and you go to uh, Liberty Island where the Statue of Liberty is, one of the most fascinating things that you'll see is that the top of her head actually has all kinds of detail in the sculpting. Of course, we'd never see that if someone hadn't invented helicopters so that you could look down on it, or drones so that you could look down on it. And if the guide is a good one that's telling you about the Statue of Liberty, he'll point that out, that 75 years before anyone even thought about being able to fly above this thing, the designer said, no, we're going to do it up there, even though nobody will ever see it. I mean, if there was ever a place they could have cut corners, it's on the top of her head. Because nobody's going to see that except the birds. Except now we all see it. He was a gimper. He was a Jabez. And I think that's what God's calling us to be. Now, so, like I like to do. Okay, so what? What do, what do I do with this? Great, you know, interesting thing. I wish I still had a teenage son to t tell him to shape up. What do you do with this? Let me tell you, I think, I think in this room, we probably all are gimpers in some area of our life. I mean, maybe, it, maybe it's your, your wardrobe, maybe it's your furniture, maybe it's the way you keep your car, maybe it's the way you keep your desk at work, maybe it's the way you, you keep your checkbook or your accounts or whatever. But we all have some areas where we're just like off the charts, in terms of diligence and doing it. I mean, maybe you're into tools, and you've got those tools perfect. Here's the thing, maybe one of the ways you could take this and apply it. What else in your life should be that way? Maybe, maybe that's how you do your tools. Are there two or three other areas in your life that ought to be like that? It's just a general application. But we're in the process of you know, talking about, okay, what kind of church should we be? And so let's, let's, how does this impact our church culture? If this is one of the values that I believe we should be communicating, what does that look like? And I think it is one of those values we ought to be communicating because you know what it says? We take God seriously. We, 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 we view the work we do for God as the most important work we do. The ministry we do in this church, we need to do it to the glory of God. If it's your job to teach that class, 
you need to be prepared to teach that class. I mean, that means you start early in the week and you think about it and you're rolling it around and and you're doing it as excellently as you possibly can. If it's your job to make the coffee, make the coffee well. If it's your job to get the trash out, get the trash out well on time. I mean, if it's your job to, to show up at an event... Get to that event early so that you can be there, so you can assess the situation and help. I mean, this this walking in three minutes late, that's not excellent work. How would your boss feel if you showed up three or four minutes late to everything you did? They'd say, well, he's pretty good once he gets here. But it usually takes him 10 or 15 minutes to get his head in the game anyway. So he's really no good until 30 minutes after he's gotten here, or she isn't. I think that's what we're talking about. Why? So that people will be impressed with us? No, so that God himself will see us as honorable people. I mean, we're not here to impress Texarkana. We're here to impress God Almighty. And so we need to do our work as excellently as we possibly can now obviously you know we got limited resources we got limited time we got lots of things that keep us but those should be the exception not the rule let me give you two uh, what I think are pretty good practical things let me ask you this do you view yourself as an owner of this church I'm not asking, are you a member of this church or a regular attender of this church? But if this, if this is your church, barring the fact that, you know, you don't have some relative that's a preacher or some favorite preacher from your past or some neighbor that you love that's a preacher, you know, if I'm going to do your funeral or Andy's going to do your funeral or one of the elders are going to do your funeral, if this is your church, do you view yourself as an owner? You should. You should. Because this is your place. You are part of the engine that is here to please God. And the work you do in this church, the ministry you do in this church, should be done like Jabez would do it. And I think there's a real fine difference between how owners do stuff and how tenants do stuff. You know, it's kind of interesting. We've got six adult kids. Eleanor's in college, so we've got six kids that are out of college, and three of them own homes, and three of them rent. And it's kind of interesting when we have these family gatherings and to hear the homeowners talk to the renters. And it's so interesting. I mean, we saw it just even four weeks ago when we drove Jonathan's Subaru up there to to D.C. because Julia and Josiah, they rent. And Jonathan and Mariah have bought a house. And Jonathan and Mariah were talking about how they needed a new dishwasher. And coincidentally, at the same time, Julia and Josiah's dishwasher went out. 
So what do Julia and Josiah do? They call the landlord, and the landlord said, I'm really busy. Can you just get on Home Depot and find one? Pick a good one. Just get it delivered. Get it installed, and, and you know, we'll, we'll settle up. I'll take care of it, you know, whatever. Just don't go out of, you know, way off. Jonathan and Mariah are talking about that. And when Jonathan and Mariah are talking about their dishwasher, it's like they were talking about it with a moan. Oh, dude, can we get more out of it? You know, I wonder if I should repair it. You know, I mean, they took responsibility for it. Now, wow, Richard, your illustration there just kind of undid what you said. I think I want to be a renter. Yeah, most Christians want to be renters. But let me just tell you, when the landlord decides to kick Julia and Josiah out, they're homeless. Jonathan and Mariah, they own that house. Jonathan and Mariah have a house that their kids are going to be part of and grow up. I mean, you you can sit and say being a homeowner has such downside to it. But let's think maturely. Renting isn't that great, is it? I mean, kids need a home. I need a home. We need longevity. So let me ask you, are you an owner of this church or are you just a tenant? You know, just here for something, and then when the dishwasher breaks, it's like I'm going to go to someplace else because they might ask us to take an offering to buy a new dishwasher. I think God wants you to be an owner. And when you change your mentality and start thinking in terms of being an owner, you're going to start stepping up. I mean, when you see trash out in the parking lot, you're going to walk over and pick it up. When you're the last one out of the building and all the lights are on, you're going to say, wow, somebody, somebody needs to turn these things off, and so maybe I need to be the one that turns these off and have, figure out how to do it. When you drive by the church and you see one of the sprinkler heads gushing up like Old Faithful, you're not just going to text Richard or text the office and say, hey, you got a problem out there in the front. You're maybe going to say, hey, you got a problem out there in the front, but then you're going to follow it up with a couple sentences that says, you know, I know we don't really have a full-time maintenance man. You need help getting that fixed. I don't really know how to do it, but, boy, I just hate to dump it on you. I mean, because we're all in this together. That's my building over there. How do you, how, what, how do you think? I could beat this horse for a while, but we're out of time, so let me just move on. You need to minister with excellence. Let me ask you, if you are an owner of this church, and you should be if this is your church, you know, if, if, if you were to die this afternoon and you wanted me or Andy or someone in this church to do your funeral, you should have a job in this church. You should be helping to carry the weight, whether it's, taking this or taking that or teaching this other thing or showing up for this or helping organize that or, you know, we passed out a service thing, you know, a couple weeks, a couple months ago. Lots of things on there to pick and choose from. You should have a job as an owner. You should have a job. And you know what? You need to do that job with excellence. 
Most of you actually here have that job. Maybe you come and help Andy with the students. Maybe you come on Wednesday night and help with Awana. Maybe when we do some kind of a meal, you're there helping to make it happen. Do you do it with excellence? Do you show up early enough so that you're ready when the time starts? Do you do it like an owner and say, okay, what else? we we got to think about it. Oh, plates. We don't have plates. Someone needs to run to Sam's to buy the plates. Do you think like an owner? And are you doing your ministry within this church with excellence? I think that is honorable to God. And I think that's one of those values we want to communicate to people. So they think well of us? No. So that they know, we think, the ministry that occurs here is the most important thing we can do because we're here to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today... Some of this would have resonated with us. And Father, that we would be people who really are truly seeking to be honorable in all the areas of our life. And particularly in the ministry that we give to you. I pray, Father, we would not take the grace that you have given to us and abuse it. Lord, you tolerate us so much, but Father, I pray that today you wouldn't have to tolerate us so much because we, we were more like Jabez and we sought to do our ministry to your glory. So Father, today I pray that that truth would uh, permeate our hearts and our minds and that we would think diligently about how we could be more uh, more honorable to you. For it's in Jesus' name, amen.